0: Abaology family, what is up? Welcome back. It's Jake. I'm down here in Vilcabamba, Ecuador. Michelle and the kids and I, we moved to Ecuador in November uh, 2021. We've been here for over 10 months now. We lived on the coast for six months and now we have moved to Vilcabamba, which is in the mountains. Uh, Near the Peruvian border. It is an amazing place. Perfect weather. It's just a very peaceful place. There are a lot of healers here. A lot of spiritually minded people. A lot of families that um, like to raise their kids to be free. To be able to run around and play without a lot of pressure. Um, And they can just be kids. And um, so there's kind of like a built in frequency sharing. If you If you move to Vilcabamba and you like it, they say that it'll it'll spit you out if you're if you're uh, it'll either spit you out or you'll love it. So we love it. Um, like any place, there's pros and cons, but I would say it's 80, 20 pros and cons. and we've just had an unbelievable year of being challenged. We did not foresee how difficult the cultural challenges would be the parenting challenges, a lot of the approaches that worked in the United States before we moved here. About a month after we moved here, we realized they were not working anymore. And, uh, and we didn't know what to transition to. So that took a while to find our footing, especially with parenting. And I want to share, first of all, I'm happy to be back I want to talk about our church, Grace Culture, and I want to talk about my DMT experience. If you don't know what DMT is, just you can YouTube uh, DMT or Bufo, B-U-F-O. You can type in like Joe Rogan DMT. I know he's done it a few times. More and more people, uh, Aaron Rodgers from the Green Bay Packers has done DMT. Essentially, it is a plant medicine where, um, so you... Here, it's readily available, it's legal, it's cheap. So, um, I've done DMT twice now, and the first time that I did it, I was walking back with our shaman, Kevin. Um, Shaman simply means one who heals themselves. So, you may be a shaman. I'm a shaman. Man, I'm always at work trying to heal myself. (laughs) It's never-ending. It's basically all Michelle and I talk about. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to find out, um, you know, how we got wounded such that we need healing, um, and to go into that. But I was walking back to, uh, the little area where we were going to do the ceremony and the shaman starts, uh, you know, there in the Christian world, we would call this the prophetic. So he's, in Christian terms, prophetic, but he's he's just a very spiritual man, and he's very well-educated on many, many religions. And Kevin is like a giant love blanket. He's very disarming. He's an amazing, amazing person. So many of our friends down here have had sessions with Kevin. He, he administers ayahuasca, DMT, San Pedro, and um, Rape, all these different plant medicines that are illegal in the United States. Um, he administers them all on an expert level, and he's just so full of love. So I was nervous, but he really disarmed me with how much love and safety was emanating from his energy. So we're walking back, and he starts talking to me about how I may experience a few deaths while I'm on the medicine. And he says, when you when you experience it, you'll know when it's starting, but I want you to remember that you're still in the earth realm. Uh, you're going to be kind of by locating in this experience and on the earth realm. You're not going to forget that you're in the earth realm. You're not going to believe you're actually dying, but you will feel death because there are versions of, yourselves, of yourself that believes things, uh, and those versions of yourself with those false beliefs actually need to die and you need to resurrect without those limiting beliefs. And, you know, these are usually beliefs that from the ages of zero to twelve, they, you know, during our years of conditioning and where our brains are being formed and our belief systems and thought structures, emotions are being formed, we these ideas attach to us and then I'm you know in my case I was thirty-nine during this ceremony so these beliefs you've had them for you know some of them over thirty years so they become part of you and you have these versions of yourself that have these beliefs that are limiting you. And so I you know you you hold the medicine in your hand and he asked me to lay back for five minutes and to place my intentions on the medicine, and the medicine partners with you, and uh, it was really interesting, because the medicine, whether it be ayahuasca or DMT, kind of is is going to take you into wherever you need to go first, like, um, it'll, it, it kind of, it knows what you need, so I had these seven intentions, but I actually didn't get to the intentions until the second hit of DMT, and so he places a pipe in your mouth, and you begin to breathe in, and he and he coaches you through it, and he was saying, okay, hold it, hold it, hold it, and then he would give me a little bit more, and he would say, hold it, hold it, and he'd give me a little bit more, and then there's a moment where the medicine hits you, and then you just lay back. You can't even sit up anymore, and you lay back, and you essentially take off into what feels like the astral realm, or this much, much higher consciousness, um, even a place where it, it feels like your origin, and um, it was filled with love and light. And the first three things that happened was I, I experienced three deaths on my first hit of DMT. And when you're on DMT, you're kind of operating in timelessness, so you feel like you're in this experience for hours and hours, but it's really only about 15 minutes per hit. So, And again, this is non-addictive, non-harmful, um, you know, yet unbelievably transformational and life-changing. So I started to feel this first death, and, and I saw myself from above myself, and my organs and my muscles and tissues and veins all sucked into the earth, and all that I was was a spine. And I felt death, like I felt short of breath, but I could hear Kevin in my ear um, just to keep my heart open because the you're gonna get out of the experience, let me let me, how do I phrase this? To the degree you're open is the degree the medicine can minister to you. So uh, a constant theme when you do a plant medicine is it will take you into the shadows. Uh, but just to remember that to stay open, and that it's necessary to go into our dark places sometimes. And I'm not talking demons. I'm talking uh, the, sh- the shadows of your mind, the things you've buried down, uh, beliefs, limiting beliefs, lies you believe. That realm, you need to go into that. The stuff you don't really want to go into, the, the medicine's going to take you there because it's necessary for you to to grow, to thrive, to experience your best life. So it essentially goes after what is holding you back. It's pretty awesome. And this doesn't take five years of counseling or any prescription pills uh, that are addictive. Again, there's a place for both of those things. I'm not against either of those things. But in two DMT sessions, I have experienced more healing, revelation, and wholeness than what feels like could be hundreds of years, (laughs) like many lifetimes. So the reason I bring up these deaths is. I believe that our church grace culture was born to die. Uh, you know, there's a verse in Galatians where Paul says, um, and I want to bring this to you because, uh, you know, the, the verse basically says Jesus was a man born under the law, sent to redeem those under the law. Uh, in Hebrews it says that Jesus was sent to redeem those who sinned under the first covenant. Okay, you and I have never been under the first covenant. Only the Hebrew people, the Jewish people that the to whom the law was given were under the first covenant. And even the law was not the law of God, it was the law of Moses. So you were never under the first covenant. You were never under the law of Moses. But as is a theme on this on this podcast, we some if we grew up in church, we were taught with this library of scrolls. The word Bible comes from the Latin Biblia, which means library. It is a library of scrolls. It is multivocal, many-voiced. It is multi-opinioned. It has many concepts and versions of the one true God in it. And we were taught from this collection of scrolls and, but we were told it was one book. Now, in this one book, if you have that understanding, in this one book are about 150,000 different versions of God. So it gets very confusing. So Jesus was born as a Jew under the law. So he was... Let me... let. I want to expand the way we think about this. So he was a person born into a certain system. Um. And so, but the reason he was born in that system was to liberate people from that system, was to redeem them or purchase them back from a system that maybe once gave life, but then stopped giving life and then became bondage. So so just like Moses was, was kind of, in, he was a, a, um, a form of God born into the, into the slavery that was Egypt— he was, he was in that system to deliver the Hebrews from that system you know um, and, and then he took 40 years to enter the promised land when if you look at it geographically or if you study it out the distance could have been covered in about three to seven days and um, I think it's interesting because you know I th- the Bible is allegorical so, think about how hard it is for you to change the way you think. Think about if you had 400 years of generations of your family thinking one way, and then you happen to be alive in the generation where this, this man comes and delivers you out of, of this system that is the only system you've ever known, and he's taking you to this unforeseen land, okay? you It's going to require so much trust from you, um, and... Sometimes I wonder, did he walk them around for 40 years? Because it takes about a generation for thinking to change. So in those 40 years, perhaps it's enough time for a new generation of kids to be born who then are conditioned and their minds are formed with with better ideas. And then they are better equipped to inherit the, quote, promised land. You know, the world right now is very system and industry heavy. And, and I believe a lot of kids are, have already been born and are going to be born that are kind of a, a counterbalanced generation. And so I think Moses needed the same thing to happen. You know, Our world is so system and industry heavy, whether it be the church system, the political system, the pharmaceutical system, the, the college and university system, the tax system, the banking system, 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 system. system. And creativity and uh, kind of the artistic side of things, the world is kind of out of balance. It's so system heavy, and so I believe a lot of kids are going to be born with these incredible creative and artistic gifts to, to balance the earth back out. And, and Moses is walking these people around, and allegorically speaking, it's a picture of of how it takes decades for thinking to change. And sometimes you're not equipped to inherit a certain land or a certain season of life until you change your thinking. You simply can't uh, take dominion in that land. You don't have the thought processes for it yet. And so our church, Grace Culture, um, we were... Grace Culture was a church a church born into the existing church system, sent to redeem the existing church system, and I think a lot of you that listen to this podcast, and I don't say that to toot our own horn or anything like that, I've just had a lot of time to think through that church journey. And... We were born into the existing church system, yet we were very different. Jesus was born into the Second Temple Jewish system, yet he was very different. He spent a lot of time in Egypt. I believe he was exposed to tons of different forms of spirituality and spiritual ideas. And and yet here he, he ends up in Jerusalem around 30 years old, and, and, he, and man, he's a Jew, but he's different, uh, you know, and he's not a fundamentalist. He's not obsessed with a holy book. He's got some ideas that are are actually designed to take people out of living a holy book-based life. And you see in the Gospels how some people just were not ready for what he carried. But some people were. To some, he was a threat, and to others, he was an oasis in the barren desert of fundamentalist religion. And you know, to the disciples, I remember after the 60 leave Jesus, after he said, um, if you're, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and he said those things that in the non-spiritually sound really nuts. He looks at the disciples and says, are you guys going to leave too? And they say, Oh, how could we leave you? You're the one with the words of life. Our church grace culture had the words of life for about 40 or 50 people, um, and that's what it, those last couple years we existed, we we were down to 40 or 50 people, man, but to those 40 or 50 people, we were an oasis in a barren desert of religion, and and it was an honor to be that place, an absolute honor, but what happened is what happens is, you know, just like Jesus, people would assume he's just like other rabbis, and then they go hear him speak and they're like, oh my gosh, this guy's different than the other rabbis. Nothing against the other rabbis. He's just different. And Jesus would say things like, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, if we were to use some language that's not just Christian language, that's not just Bible language, um, we could say something like, if If you're on my frequency, you're going to get it. If you're not on my frequency, you are not going to get it. You know, the first few years of our church, we tried to get people to see what we saw, and we put that burden on our backs. And it wasn't until about three years in that we realized, unless people are asking questions, unless they're a little bit dissatisfied— They're not even open to a different approach. They don't even think there's anything wrong with the religious system they're in. And so we were born into that system of churches, where you drive down the street, there's a few churches on a given block, and based on the denomination, you pick which one you want to go to. You know, and when we started, we were teaching kind of a Joseph Prince or Andrew Womack, Creflo Dollar type of New Covenant grace, but the thing about it was, we weren't meant to stop there. Uh, I I am an excavator. I just keep digging and digging and digging, and I would just keep digging. You know, once I saw the new covenant, I'm like, oh my gosh, how've I've never seen this before? I want everybody to see this. Some people saw it right away. Some people were ready. Some people hated it. Most of the other churches couldn't stand it, and it was a constant battle to not fight against but rather build, to be for something. So we changed our heart posture. We stopped um, trying to convince people of things. But then by the nature of what I was doing, I was coming after subjects like hell, eternal torment, sin nature, uh, the inerrancy and infallibility of the Bible the way we see it here as evangelical Christians with 66 books in it, um, none of which written by a woman uh, with a, you know... Uh, even though the, you know, the Catholic, the original King James had 80 books, and then the Catholic uh, Bible has 73 books, and, you know, all, all of those types of ideas, uh, how even the idea that there's no contradictions in the Bible. We were going after all of those things because I was getting freer and freer and freer every time I would study another one of those subjects. But I now understand we were a church born into the system of churches to basically to lead people out of church. And as Jesus was born into Judaism, to lead people out of Judaism, as Moses was born into Egypt, to lead people out of Egypt. Now, being Moses and remaining in Egypt, there was a day where that became extremely difficult um, because you're a liberator at heart, yet you're surrounded by bondage. Now, I want to qualify. I have still have tons of minister friends, uh, men and women, and um, who are still running churches, and they would be what I consider healthy churches. Um, but they're still churches. It's still a weekly gathering model, and um, everybody's path is different. So I don't want to impose my path on anyone else, but I also know that, that these people that I know... If you're listening to this podcast, I have a decent idea of what's going on on the inside of you. Um, And so we started to feel like even having a weekly gathering church was a form of Egypt. It started to feel like bondage. It started to feel like we've got to get out of here. And so when I look at Jesus and I take the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, where he would quote their holy writings and then he would take them into the heart realm. You've heard it said, and then he would quote, uh, you know, the law of Moses. But I say, and then he would take them into the heart realm. For instance, you know, you've heard it said, if you commit adultery, you should be killed. But I say, if you've even thought it in your heart, you're an adulterer. Okay, so let's slow down. That's from the holy book, out of the Holy Book and into the heart. It's interesting because we were taught never to trust our heart. The, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things, which is a horrendous translation of that. Um, and then in the New Covenant, we taught, well, you were born with a, with a deceitful and wicked heart, but when you walked the aisle and recited the sinner's prayer, now Jesus gave you a new heart that's not deceitful and wicked. But essentially, during our formative years, we were taught not to trust our heart, and yet here we see Jesus trying to lead people into the heart. So, it's just um, it's just interesting how we do that. So one of the so grace culture, the weekly gathering church, actually needed to die for. For Michelle and I, especially, and all the people that came to our church to be raised again,, uh, you know, when I was on the the DMT, um it actually took, I want to share this about it too. So the second time i I was uh, I took DMT, the first hit was entirely a generational experience. So I had my intentions this time as well. And my intentions were things like wisdom and parenting. Uh, our parenting approach and our, our kids were all on a schedule before we moved to Ecuador. Within a month of moving here, we realized, oh my gosh, this this old thinking doesn't work here. Just like Moses, walking people around for 40 years so they can hopefully have a new generation born that's not indoctrinated the same way, that doesn't have 400 years of history in Egypt, in slavery, and thinking like a slave... Um, needs to be born and, and able to move into this new season in the promised land. We needed to change our thinking uh, in parenting to to inherit the next season, and it was a tough four or five months. So hard. <laughs> We're just now finding a rhythm, and these this is part of why it's been a year or over a year since I've visited the Abology podcast. Um, so I find myself now, um, with this evangelical background and I still have a huge heart. This is why I'm back on this podcast. For people who are questioning things, um, who are, whose hearts are open. It's like, look, I'm going to bless you to the degree you're open. I'm like DMT. DMT blesses you to the degree your heart is open. If your heart is not open to question things, to, to entertain the thought, that the Bible itself potentially is not is not this book that dropped out of the throne room of God onto the lap of man with zero errors, no contradictions, uh, you know, guidebook for life. All of these things were taught. If you're not willing to entertain that thought, you should turn this podcast off. But if you are willing, I can help you on a journey. I can, I can uh, soften your landing as as certain things, beliefs, uh, religious beliefs you've had for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, if you purge those beliefs, you're going to feel a little bit frantic and panicked. I can help you, uh, solve, I can help soften that landing for you and have a huge heart to do that. Um, my wife and I have already started another podcast that you should subscribe to. If you haven't, it's called The Rethinking Life, all one word, lowercase. And this is where we're going to you're going to find some language that's beyond Christianity. We're going to talk about some things that aren't just Bible-based. But here, I'll, I'll try to keep it Bible-based and at least launch off of Bible verses. So, um, yeah, so we had to change our thinking to enter, to inherit the coming season. So I know so many people are still employees at churches, pastors of churches and inside they know a new season is coming. You know, let me let me talk about something practical that can happen. If you if you're in church leadership and you have this stirring on the inside and you feel like God or source or universe, whatever you call the divine, is guiding you into a new season, uh, or you think you're on the front end of that, but you don't know what it's going to look like. But your particular church has no shortage of of money that that salaries can be paid for the foreseeable future. That is something you need to think about. Um, Are you not entering the next season because you know uh, you're taken care of? Um, or at least you believe you know. You know, we don't actually know anything about the next minute, let alone the next day or years. But essentially when you evaluate it, your church has got, whether it be, you know, you have extremely large sums of giving every week or you have a big stack of cash and savings, um, whatever it is, that could slow you down on your journey. And, And listen, the great thing about this is there's no condemnation. It's just if you haven't thought about it, maybe, maybe you should. Uh, maybe that's holding you back. I don't know. Just something to think about. But I'm on DMT. The second it's the first hit of my second experience, and I immediately find myself as my grandfather, Stanley Stringer, and I'm on a church pew in a Baptist church, and I'm eight. I just have this knowing, and I can see my grandfather's little face as an eight-year-old. And my grandfather was a Baptist preacher and a teacher, and then he eventually got into um, like natural gas or propane later in his life. Um, and you know, he he loved Jesus in his way. Every time I was with him, he would always ask me, you know, if I if I died that day, would I would I know that I know that I know I am going to heaven? Just very uh, classic Baptist, hellfire and brimstone Baptist preacher. And so I am sitting on this pew, and I am him, and this preacher is yelling at me about how hot hell is and how the rapture's coming and Jesus is going to leave me behind. And I'm hearing these teachings, and I see, I'm on the medicine, and I see these teachings go into his heart and into his brain. Well, um, Stanley Stringer ends up being a Baptist preacher. And he preached hell was hot and the rapture's coming, and do you know that you know? Uh, you know, that when Jesus comes back, you're going to go with him, or that if you die, you're going to go to heaven. And so I'm in this experience, and I have this revelation, and the medicine shows me the reason that I was so passionate about those doctrines is because it was generational work left undone by my grandfather, So my grandfather, all those years of preaching, actually was questioning within himself hell, rapture, sin nature, inerrancy, contradictions. He was questioning those things, but he was too afraid to study them. So it passed to my dad. Okay, so now I'm my dad, and I'm in this experience... And right before we came to Ecuador, my dad told me a story, and it was, I, we, we, my dad and I never talked about grace culture, he never asked me about uh, what our church was like or anything, because he hates religion. He's done with it. So we're sitting, I have four hours or so until Michelle and the kids fly to Fort Lauderdale, at which point we're taking a plane to Ecuador. So I had driven a van down with all the things we were taking with us to Ecuador alone, And I had almost a whole day, and so I messaged my dad, he lives in West Palm Beach, and asked him if he wanted to hang out. So I go to my dad's house, and we actually got to talk for like four hours, and he apologizes to me for never taking an interest in our church, he just hates religion. So I got the chance to tell my dad what our church was like for the first time. We were a church for over six years. And I started to tell him that we questioned hell, inerrancy, infallibility, sin nature, contradictions. Uh, you know, how the Bible was even compiled, the patriarchal nature of the narrative in the Bible, how God is only called He and Father, uh, you know, it, at least in the English translations. Um, I know, you know, the original words for spirit and soul and body, those have masculine and feminine, so there actually is balance there in the original language, but when they translated it, they, they kind of keep that out. We talk about all these things, and I finally asked my dad, I said, Dad, when did you decide that you hated church? And he says, well, that's easy. He said, when I was 13 or 14, it was a Tuesday night, and my dad, we called him Papa. Okay, this is my grandfather who, you know, I was him. I saw him when those teachings became attached to him when he was a little boy. Um, and so now my dad tells me this story. And what's interesting is when I was on DMT, right after I finished my kind of experience with my grandfather, which I actually, this podcast is going to be a little bit longer. I'm just going to, I'm just going to let it roll. Feel free to press pause, bring it back next time, whatever. So as I'm in the, let me go back to the experience with my grandfather. Then I'll come back to dad. So, um, I'm, I'm, in that experience with my grandfather, and I realized that he doesn't, he's in whatever afterlife realm, and and he's kind of doesn't have a lot of peace. He He can't move on. And whatever it is you believe about the afterlife, whether that be, you know, to streets of gold with God, or into another life, or nothingness, or whatever you believe. He just was stuck, and I could feel it, and I could feel him. And out of nowhere, I sit up and start talking to my grandfather as Jesus. And even the shaman Kevin was like, he starts giggling because it was so powerful. And I said, Stanley, they lied to you about me. They told you that I was angry, that I was nitpicky that I was keeping a record of wrongs on you that you had needed to fear me in the afterlife and you needed to fear hell and the rapture. And, and I said, they lied to you, son. They lied to you. My precious boy, I am nothing but love and light, love and light. And I said love and light like 20 times and I'm crying. And then I feel my grandfather have peace. Now you can have your beliefs about this experience, but I would encourage you before you dismiss it, fly down to South America and have an experience with DMT or ayahuasca uh, before you dismiss it. Um, so, and then I feel my grandfather have peace and, and that's when I went into the experience with my dad. So so I'm in this experience with my dad and it, and it is the same moment that he told me about two months ago In his garage in Fort Lauderdale in West Palm Beach, which was, it was a Tuesday night. My grandfather, the Baptist preacher that we just talked about, is loading everybody in the car to go to Tuesday night prayer meeting. And my dad looks up on the hillside and he sees his dog. Now, he loved this dog more than anything. And this dog, he had been his dog since he was three or four years old. So he'd grown up with this dog, he loved the dog more than anything in the world, and he looked up on the hillside, and my dad said, I knew in my heart he had gone up there to die, and I did not want him to die alone. So I asked, I asked Papa, this is what I called my grandfather, I asked Papa if I can stay home from church because I want to be with my dog because I know that I know he's, he's gone up on that hillside to die, and I want to be with him when he dies. If I go to church, he's going to be dead when we get back. And he starts arguing with my grandfather. And Papa eventually throws him in the car and makes him go to prayer meeting. Well, guess what? Two, two and a half hours later, whenever they come home, my dad sprints up on the hillside to find his dog dead. And he just weeps. And that was the moment that he put two middle fingers up to the sky. And he was done with church. I had never heard this story. I'd always wondered why my dad would not get into spiritual talk um, I'd always wondered, and some things finally started to make sense, and my dad was kind of rehumanized to me in this moment. It was unbelievably powerful. So he's telling me the story, and I'm just kind of tearing it up, and I just can't believe it. So this, this uh, you know, the, the things that my grandfather wanted to study, hell, rapture, sin nature, all the stuff, passed to my dad, but my dad was not going to do it. He, he got stuck in rebellion. Okay, he, he was presented with a form of Christianity that he despised, rightfully so. He put two middle fingers to the sky, said, F that, I am not interested. And now my dad is 75 or 76, and he's still not interested. It did blow his mind up when I told him what our church was like, and he smiled, and it actually made him happy. But I realized in that experience, then I said some things to my dad um, as me, um, I was in the experience, and, and the shaman, I was actually thinking to myself this thought, and then the shaman said it, because he's so connected with you in this experience. Remember, shaman just means one who heals themselves, so don't be weirded out by that term. Um, don't just write it off, because it's not part of Christian vernacular. It just means one who heals themselves, so you may be a shaman, I, I'm definitely a shaman. I'm always trying to go after trying to heal myself. I have not arrived at all, but I've definitely left and hopefully you've left and will never arrive. okay? So it's all about the journey. So these these things pass to my dad, but he's not going to do it. And and I'm in this experience and I have this thought that that I need to reparent my own da- my dad. I need to father my dad. And right as I'm thinking that, the shaman says he thinks that that I need to father my dad. And, you know, I'm still unfolding what that means. Basically, I just want to be very loving towards my dad. Uh, you know, he left when I was three. He married the woman he cheated on my mom with. Um, you know, he started this—he left the state, so he left me. I mean, I was three. He moved to Florida, started this whole new life— And I essentially want him to know that I I don't have any resentment, nothing but forgiveness. And I, I, you know, he's 76, so who knows how much longer he's going to live. And I would like to have a relationship with him. So I finally get done with this experience with my grandfather and dad. It was so unbelievable. And then the shaman says, are you ready to meet yourself for the first time without this generational baggage? And I just started to laugh, and it was, it sounded exciting and daunting. And it also pissed me off. Um, Because I'm like, I'm 40, man. What do you mean, meet myself? And I just started to think about how much generational stuff we all could be carrying, um, and how thankful I was for this medicine that brought me into this experience and gave me this clarity and understanding. And I'm still getting to know myself. This is why I haven't done the podcast on Obology for, I don't know, 14, 15 months. And Michelle and I finally feel like we're, or let me just talk about myself. I, I feel solid enough that I'm not going to impose my experience on you as a listener, especially if you are still a church employee. Um, but I do want to share, you know, my my journey So, I'm still getting to know myself uh, post church. And essentially, I unraveled enough Christianity and built enough, uh, you know, kind of Christian doctrines, uh, you know, especially the unhealthy ones. I unraveled enough of them and have built a strong enough new foundation. Uh, You know, I often talk about demo, framing, finish, the three stages of a spiritual renovation. Uh, We've framed enough that I really feel ready to come back to this podcast and hopefully provide some content for those of you that are deconstructing um, that that can help you reconstruct something healthy. But I do want you to know it may take you out of what you know as Christianity. Just as Jesus was trying to take people out of a holy book-based life and into the heart, if I'm going to be totally transparent, I'm already... Um, I won't. I don't want to use the word transcending. This is what Richard Rohr says: transcend and include. So this is why I still love the scriptures because they're full of allegory and symbolism and wisdom. I don't love them for literal for literalism. Uh, you know, just like we talked about with the forty year journey, which could have taken five days. I think there's a lot to take from that. Why did it take forty years? That's what makes me think about uh, their thinking needed to change and what we talked about earlier. So the Bible is still of immense value. But when you realize, okay, you were never under the law, uh, which you probably grew up thinking you were if you grew up in legalistic, fear-based Christianity, uh, okay, you, you never needed redemption because you never sinned under the first covenant because you were never under the first covenant. Jesus was a man born under the law, sent to redeem those under the law. He wasn't even sent to redeem you. You didn't, you didn't need any redemption. Okay? And, and what's interesting is those people didn't either in actuality, but they believed they did, so Jesus met them where they were at. He comes into our level of consciousness, into our worlds, lives there with us, and then leads us out to the next promised land to the next place to inherit, but he, this is, you know, the Bible talks about renewing your mind. Paul talks about renewing your mind. So, in order to inherit the next season, usually thinking has to change. So, you know, uh, evaluate the thoughts that you have trouble letting go of potentially you're going to discover it's because those are healthy thoughts and you need to keep them as part of your foundation. But if you've got a thought that you know is unhealthy or something that's nagging you, but you won't really get intimate with it, there's a reason there. And there may be some fear there. And, um, you know, I I wouldn't hesitate, if I were you, to and I'm talking to myself, too. I've got stuff, I've got things that I see around the corner that I see are going to require me to expand my thinking, and I'm not quite ready for that yet. You know, what? Uh, this was in 2018. I, a friend of mine gave me a book by, uh, called Jesus for the Non-Religious by John Shelby Spung. And I, I saw the title, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to love this book. Well, by chapter three, I realized I am not ready for this guy. <laughs> and I still haven't reopened that book, Um, mostly mostly because this year hasn't really been about the Bible. It's been about my family, my marriage, myself, uh, these plant medicine experiences, uh, increasing in wholeness, uh, finding my footing, finding my voice, discovering myself without uh, the unfinished business of previous generations of the men in my family. It's been about all of that. Even listing that sounds like a lot, and it has been a lot. Um, so maybe I should wrap this one up. So I'll, I'll wrap this one up, but I am going to be back. I don't know, um, how regularly I'm going to post episodes, but I do want to provide some dependability for you guys. Um, those of you that haven't unsubscribed because it's been 14 months since an episode has come out. Um, But you're probably going to hear more of a blend of two worlds. Um, Obviously, I can definitely talk Bible-based Christianity and deconstruction, but I'm in a new life where spirituality includes my Christian journey, but has also transcended it. Richard Rohr talks about transcending and including. So, um, you know, one time I had a message. I forget what the title of the message was, but it was... um, Goodbye is not equal to, my time with you wasn't significant. So any previous place on the journey that you have parted with, you may have people that are still at that place that took your departure personally, but your departure does not mean that your time with them was not significant. Or the departure that you see around the corner yourself needing to make, and you imagine how the people are going to take it and how they're not going to take it well, your departure does not mean your time with them was insignificant. So my time as a pastor couldn't be more significant, couldn't be of higher value. I would not be where I am without it. I still love the Bible. I still love Jesus. He is a badass. Um, you know he he's worth following. He has so much to teach us. but let's expand our minds beyond the literal. Let's overcome the fear of um, of of picturing a life that's not based on a holy, a holy book, or more accurately, a holy library of scrolls. Um, that inside, even Hebrews says that we know the quote law, uh, on it's written on our hearts. Okay, that's calling us into the heart realm. That's saying you don't need a holy book. You know inside. No one has to tell you that you know, having sex with your best friend's wife is wrong. No matter what country you're born in. (laughs) You just know that. And and I I don't think that's even talking about like the law of Moses. It's a different kind of law, law of love, the law of liberty. Um, But you know what I'm saying. So thank you guys. And uh, yeah, look forward to some more episodes. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this one. And I hope you hear my heart in this. So you're in, you're hearing a guy that is still in process, but but I think that my heart is whole and healthy enough um, to share again, and uh, and I really hope that today's message has expanded your mind. I hope it's caused you to think about things in your life where you're circling around until your thinking changes, and only then can you enter in, um, and and just to go with that, uh, follow your heart. Your heart is good and is trustworthy. See you guys next episode.